You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Boss of Britain and braggadocious blonde bellend Boris is back from his break and bids to bewitch his buddies by begging them to bung a bob for a big Ben Bong, baffling a beleaguered battalion of Brexit bashers bewildered by his blatant bunkering of the body politic. The Russian government resigns as Vladimir Putin seeks to consolidate his grip on power and tweak the country's constitution, in a move described by President Trump as the easiest wank he's ever had. Priti Patel defends the inclusion of Extinction Rebellion on a government watchlist of radical ideologies, explaining that to her, anything to the left of Oswald Mosley seems pretty extremist. The boss of Ryanair has threatened legal action against the government over its bailout of Flybe, arguing that legroom to delay paying taxes is legroom you should charge 50 quid extra for. After suggesting scrapping A&E waiting time targets, Health Secretary Matt Hancock breaks the limbo world record by setting the bar for himself so low that only a truly spineless amoeba like him could ever slither under it. And finally, Gwyneth Paltrow has released a candle that smells of her own vagina, as part of her attempt to disappear so far up her own arse that she can finally no longer hear Coldplay. Hello everybody, I'm Sam Gore and you're listening to IC News, the only network to ever beat Mewtwo with just a boner and a Magikarp. If you're a new listener, why don't you take off those soggy boots of yours, put them down by the fire, stick the marshmallow of news on a stick and thrust it into our toasty warm embrace. This isn't Sky or the BBC, we're here to tell you the truth, the whole truth and a whole lot of other stuff as well as the truth. We've got something our competitors don't technology that allows us to send our reporters throughout the multiverse, gathering stories and alternative viewpoints from the kaleidoscope of realities that coalesce in a beautiful rainbow around our own. We'll of course cover all the big stories from here on Earth Prime, but we'll also be lying on the floor, throwing our legs back, and holding up a mirror to the arsehole of our own dimension so we can get a good look at the zit of media bias that sits on its perineum. And you better believe we're going to squeeze that mother until it pops. It's been another tumultuous couple of weeks here on Earth Prime. Over in the States, the House of Representatives has finally sent its articles of impeachment over to the Senate, meaning that any day now we'll get to watch a bunch of old white dudes defecate on the pretense of democracy and exonerate Trump completely. While the president continues to flail wildly on Twitter, the drone strike that killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani continues to reverberate around the Middle East. Protests continue in Iran, with the government backtracking on its denials and admitting accidentally shooting down a passenger jet during the heightened tensions, with 176 people losing their lives. The horrifying death toll included four Brits and 57 Canadians, proving that Iran are responding a lot like America after 9-11 by killing a whole bunch of innocent people from the country next to the one that actually attacked them. In the wake of the tragedy, relations between Iran and the Trump administration seem to have returned to a seething simmer, rather than a raging boil. But what is the president's strategy for Iran? We now go to our resident conspiracy theorist and MAGA enthusiast Danny Sutcliffe to learn more. Now, Danny, I know you've got your own ideas about the effectiveness of Donald Trump's unique style of diplomacy. Evening, Sam. And yes, yes I do. I love me a bit of a Donald. He's not afraid to take the big diplomatic decisions Obama avoided. He's not afraid to swing his dick about like an absolute mad lad. He's not afraid to pull down his kecks and drop a big steaming turd on the buffet cart of convention. 
He's not afraid of anyone, which is why North Korea are now completely disarmed and Kim Jong-un has walked away from developing nuclear weapons and rocket testing. Well, that's pretty demonstrably untrue. No, it's fixed. It's all fixed. Trump did it. Trump won. And if you think otherwise, you're a traitorous, far-left, soy-boy, Democrat cook. That's the only fact that matters. And you know why? I'm sure you'll enlighten me. Brinkmanship. He's all about the brinkmanship. Well, perhaps you could explain all of this to those of us without your, let's say, unique understanding of the situation. Don't you worry, Petal. I will. Now, love him or hate him, I think we can all agree that Trump's approach to foreign diplomacy is nothing like Obama's. Well, drone strikes aside... Well, obviously, those go off to the side. Often into a hospital or a school. But I digress. Bringing a foreign power into line takes two things. Nuance and flattery. Or threatening to blow the living shit out of everything they all did. Yeah, I feel like there really ought to be some shades of grey between those two options. What, you mean fannying about? Not for Trump, mate. Trump's all about the stick, not the carrot. Or the mushroom, if you believe Stormy Daniels. Do you fucking mind? I'm trying to make a difficult political concept more palatable for the idiots at home here. My apologies, Danny, you're right. You were about to explain brinkmanship, I believe. Indeed I was. Brinkmanship is the art of pursuing a dangerous policy right to the tipping point in order to subdue your opponent, which, in Trump's case, was the House of Representatives. Don't you mean Iran? What? Oh yeah, them as well. It's an art, right? It turns war into a game of chicken. I'll give you an analogy. This is Gerald, my next-door neighbour. Say hello, Gerald. Hello. Now, Gerald and I have been at cross-purposes for some time now. Why's that, Gerald? Go on, fucking tell him. Danny got a bit upset with me because it took a while bringing in the blue bin last week. On account of my hip, you see, it's it's still awfully sore. Shut the fuck up, Gerald. Now, this is not the first time Gerald has provoked me, is it, Gerald? No, my alarm also woke him up two months ago when those burglars broke in and shattered my hip. And what's more, diplomacy between Gerald and me was never going to work, because politically, we just aren't aligned. He's old and independently wealthy, so take a fucking guess what he voted for. Tell him, Gerald. I just wanted my grandchildren to have the opportunity to expand their cultural horizons by working and studying abroad. Whereas I wanted to thumb my nose to the globalist elites. (sighs) Still think you're voting against your own economic self-interest. You see what I've got to deal with? Danny, I'm really struggling to see what any of this has got to do with Iran. It's brinkmanship, isn't it? I had two options when Gerald chose to nudge my buttons for a second time. I could have politely admonished him and asked him to remove his bin promptly next time. My hip is in seven pieces and held together with screws. But there's no guarantee he would have done it, is there? I went for option number two and I firebombed the shed full of budgies in his garden. Jesus Christ, Danny. I too maintain that it was somewhat of an escalation of hostilities. You'll take your fucking bin in now though, won't you? And that's Trump in a nutshell, isn't it? It's crude, but it gets the job done. If the job is to convince all your neighbours that you're the most unstable arsonist on the street. Sometimes, when it's really quiet, I think I can still hear them tweeting. And then I remember the smell of burning feathers. See? Diplomacy by tweet. Puts a neat little bow on it, don't you think? I'm Danny Sutcliffe, reporting for IC News. I'm Gerald Chapman. Shut the fuck up, Gerald. Jesus Christ.
Turning back to Britain here on Earth Prime, this week Prime Minister and mouldy, jizz-soaked haystack impersonator Boris Johnson returned to the media spotlight and gave his first interview of the new year. The PM did his usual trick of using an awful lot of words to say very little, generating a whole bunch of headlines by suggesting that the British public might be happy to chip in and raise the funds to get Big Ben chiming as a final bellend for Brexit. Perhaps this is a sign of Conservative policy yet to come, and in a post-EU economy, we'd all be expected to pump money into a GoFundMe if we need a pothole fixed. For once, Brexit wasn't Johnson's only talking point. He also took the time to take a weird swipe at vegans, pronouncing the word like a foreign tourist struggling with his menu options. He said he wouldn't be participating in veganary, saying it required more concentration than he was able to give. Fingers crossed that negotiating a complex trade deal with a block of 27 member states in 11 months proves to require less concentration than avoiding meat and dairy. With concerns rising over the ecological impact of meat consumption in the face of climate change, more and more people are turning to veganism as an ethical decision. Big companies are also jumping on the bandwagon, releasing more and more products in an attempt to make a plant-based diet more profitable and accessible. Will the rise of veganism ever peter out? And if not, who will stand up for the humble British meat-eater when gout makes it impossible for him to stand for himself? We sent Tom King to find out. Meat! Red, bloody, glorious meat. Do you like it? I bet you do. I bet you're itching to get home and stuff a big fat sausage straight into your mouth. Oh, I bet you crave it. I bet you think about slicing a juicy ham every seven seconds. I bet you lie awake at night dreaming of mince. Steaks dancing around your head like twittering canaries after a head injury in a cartoon. Well, if I've just described an average day for you, congratulations. You're one of the 88% of people in the UK who gleefully stab a flag made of bacon into the fatty buttocks of their own identity, leaving it to flutter and decompose in the wind for all to see. Britain is an overwhelmingly carnivorous country, but there's a new kid in town with a fresh new craze, and all the hippest kids are popping and locking to it. Wow. You might have heard some of their tubular slogans. Eat leaf, not beef. Buy jam, not ham. The global increase in meat and dairy consumption is environmentally catastrophic, economically unsustainable and dependent on the industrialised brutalisation of billions of sentient creatures. Uh, Love a parrot, have a carrot. Oh, it's all very pithy stuff. But what actually is a vegan and why do they fucking hate you? Now, we all have an idea of what a vegan looks and sounds like. The sanctimonious, preachy, holier-than-thou arseholes with nose rings who wear hemp trousers and force their dogs to eat turnips. That's until you actually interact directly with them, at which point the overwhelmingly vast majority of them pretend to be everyday human beings who simply make different dietary choices for their own individual reasons. The way they try and foist their beliefs on as carnivores by being so subversively autonomous is, in a way much more violent than anything that could ever possibly happen in an abattoir. Thankfully, there are those who fearlessly stand up for what eating factory-produced processed meat represents. Manliness. There's nothing stronger or tougher than tearing open a cellophane packet in order to devour a sausage. And on that front, there's absolutely no one more macho or impressive than Piers Morgan. 
He's the real man's man who single-handedly decided that the vegan lobby has to be stopped. And he's taking them on by personally making sure that he becomes the biggest, pinkest slice of gammon they've ever had to face. I'm here on Earth, Foxtrot, Narcissus, Death to Hislop 14. I came here in pursuit of an answer to the question of veganism. And I have to say, I've never, ever been more horrified. This is an Earth where reality daily mirrors Piers Morgan's opinion of himself. The pun is intended. There are marble statues of him everywhere. His face is on every billboard. And listen to this. I think we're now breeding a generation who are encouraged to think there's no such thing as a loss. You know, in schools now, you can't, you, you can't not win. You get a participation prize. Everyone you heard it. That's his voice That's playing on a loudspeaker on every street corner, 24 hours a day. The most popular cosmetic surgery here is a fad known as morganising. It's a procedure that costs thousands of pounds and involves replacing both lips with a cat's arsehole. Women here carry cut lemons in their handbags so they can rub it into the new lips in order to keep them in a constant state of twitching pucker. Here, vegan sausage rolls and steak bakes never had a chance. Having tried to operate within a regime based on Morgan's own classically hypocritical libertarianism, the entire vegan movement was stamped out brutally in a series of violent calls by the Morganist blackshirts. This is what you get for making an ethically reasonable argument, you fucking hippies. But the violence is nothing, nothing, nothing compared to what I'm, I'm currently looking at. It's, oh my God, it's... It's the roof of the Sistine Chapel, and here, floating on a cloud, lies a muscular and naked Piers Morgan, reaching out to touch the hand of God. I don't know how I know this, but I'm looking at it, and it's undeniably true. God is also Piers Morgan. This, this is a reality where ethical decisions in personal food consumption are intolerable because a man who literally wants to finger his own ego, says so. I'm, I'm Tom King, and when I get home, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a fucking salad. Absolutely everybody appears to be incredibly offended by everything. And it means that comedians can't operate anymore, because every joke is offensive. Distinctly unnerving stuff there, and as part of our commitment to the mental health of our employees, Tom will of course be offered the option to burn out his own eyes with a hot stick in order to erase that image when he gets home. If you were listening to our last episode, you may have been distinctly disturbed by what you heard as part of our entertainment coverage. Six months ago, 90s TV icon and bemulleted host of Funhouse Pat Sharp was declared missing, presumed dead, after his private jet disappeared from radar somewhere over the Pacific. After he was rescued from a raft adrift in the ocean a few weeks ago, questions have been asked by the authorities about just how he survived, and Red Redman's report from the uncharted island where Pat Sharp claims he was stranded threw up even more. Red has just arrived back here in the UK, and we now go live to them to find out exactly what transpired. Hello, Sam. It's a pleasure to be back here on British soil after an uneventful trip in which absolutely nothing happened. Sorry, hang on, Red. I'm, I'm a little confused. We heard your broadcast in the last episode. You said the search team had uncovered a mass grave in a sunken cavern in which Pat Sharp had apparently crucified his flight crew and left them to be devoured by sharks. That seems highly unlikely, Sam. The search teams and I found nothing of particular note on the island, just a few coconut trees, a bit of scrubland, and some volcanic rock. 
we found nothing suspicious, and certainly nothing like an ancient sacrificial site that requires the blood of the innocent in order to open a portal to an astral plane filled by ravenous beings made of shadow and fire. I loathe to use the term, but such base speculation is fake news. Well, there was also some strange whispering and what sounded like a running battle. You said the crew were gouging out their own eyes and attacking each other. That was probably just humidity affecting the equipment, Sam. It can create all kinds of bizarre static. It sounded quite clear to us, Red, and quite horrifying. Just interference, I'm afraid. We definitely and categorically did not discover that the Funhouse twins are actually malevolent spirits that lure hapless victims to their demise on the island. And while bewitched by their siren call, we absolutely did not flay ourselves and nail the weakest of our numbers to posts in order to appease dark gods that have existed since the beginning of time. Well then how do you explain that seven of the crew never arrived home? They simply decided to take an extended vacation, Sam. The idea that they died bloodied and screaming as blue-tipped sharks pulled out their entrails while the sound of drums reached a crescendo that caused the ears of all who heard it to stream with blood is nothing more than tabloid guff, I'm afraid. You probably just heard some sand in the microphone. This is all sounding rather far-fetched, Red. Just stop and think for a moment, Sam. Be rational. What's the alternative? I mean, really, what's more likely? Equipment failure? Or that the blood rite we enacted divided my soul in order to make space in my vessel of flesh. Either way, we suffered a bit of an embarrassing technical hitch, or I personally nailed a man's hand to a crucifix made of driftwood and now play host to a parasitical shadow born of pure malevolence that feeds on my agony and works my bones like a marionette. Well, I suppose when you put it like that, it does sound somewhat unbelievable. See, there's nothing to worry about. We're happy here. We will feast on the blood of men. Sorry, Red, what was that? I said I'm fine, Sam. There's nothing to worry about. Well, I suppose in that case, we're just happy to have you back. But what about Pat Sharp himself? Seems his story checks out, Sam. He was the sole survivor of an awful plane crash and absolutely did not set humanity on a new and bloody path littered with the skulls of the righteous. That's uh, that's quite the journalistic metaphor. Yes. A metaphor. I must go now. We We are Red Red Redmond, reporting for IC News. We really need to get that guy's microphone fixed. Thankfully, however, the mental image of deluded fanatics clawing at their own skin as they plunge themselves into a frenzied stupor is a fairly apt analogy for the general attitude of the British printed press this last couple of weeks. The scandal of Megxit has gripped the nation and, oh boy, has some of the discourse been enthusiastic, to say the least. But what's next for a fractured royal family as we head into 2020? We sent the latest incarnation of our perpetually disposable reporter, Rob Mulholland, to find out. Hello Britain, you bunch of snivelling peasants. I'm Rob 8 and you know who you are. Your proles, plebs and urchins one and all. Subjects of a hereditary monarchy plunged into crisis by an ingrate grandson who seeks to piss all over our fabulous heritage. It's been a difficult week for the royal family over on Earth Prime and the print media is frothing itself into the sort of frenzy that any sane person would take as a sign of rabies. Harry and Meghan have announced their plans to step back from their roles as senior royals. It's a move that's apparently outraged the palace, caught as they were with their gilded pants down. 
Talks to resolve the situation are underway, but what do these stunning developments actually mean for Britain? I'll tell you what they mean. If you're a royalist, it means you've probably got an opinion about Meghan Markle that you're convinced definitely isn't racist. It's probably all about her corrupting and tainting the royal family, but you know, with her ambition and her etiquette and her breeding. You can't really see on the radio, but just assume I'm doing air quotes. It's definitely not racist, all that breeding stuff. It's just fundamentally who she is, and it's an unfortunate coincidence that who she is just happens to be a black woman. It's upsetting seeing Harry thumb his nose to our beloved Queen for a silly little reason like not enjoying seeing the woman he loves attacked constantly by the very same press who literally hounded his mother to death. It's even more upsetting when you're the kind of pathetic moron who projects their total ignorance of any kind of nuance regarding the situation into furious ranting about how they're a pair of traitors. Have you seen John Gaunt's Twitter feed recently? It's fucking spectacular watching a grown man in the dying twilight of his shitty, hate-filled career explode into apoplexy because the Downton Abbey of real life threw up a plot twist he didn't like. And here's the staggering thing. If you believe the outrage, it's all because they're the unbearable woke couple seeking to modernise a beloved institution. Just let that sink in for a second and consider the ridiculously tacit racism at the heart of it. A member of the royal family, the same one no less who likes to cosplay as a Nazi when he's on a bender, is now a member of the liberal hippie elite, according to these scumbags, for no other reason than he married a black yank. Here's what you can do if this whole situation has upset you. You can pop down to the shop, you can return your bunting and your commemorative plates, and you can use the refund to buy yourself a fucking life, you brain-dead, forelock-tugging twat. Sure, it's a bit cheeky that the taxpayers shouldered the cost for a royal wedding and now they don't want to sit in their gold cage and wave for us when we want them to, but unless you've been living in an underground bunker with your fingers in your ears, it's impossible to argue that the press's treatment of Meghan Markle has been anything other than disgusting dog-whistle bullshit. If you think Harry is the current villain of the royal family, then I'll go a step further and assume that you shared that bunker with underage sex slaves procured by a billionaire hedge fund manager. For Christ's sake, it's 2020. The monarchy is in desperate need of modernisation, and at least one of the branches of the family tree gives minge splinters to underage kids. We should be pruning the crap out of it at the very least, and if it were up to me, we'd be salting the earth the moment the Queen carks it before leaving the entire rotten thing to die. If Harry and Meghan want nothing more to do with it, then more power to their elbows. Honestly, your Earth is fucking weird, and I say that as a man from an alternate dimension where Britain is ruled with an iron fist by a despotic Anthea Turner. But hey, I've survived my report for once, so that's got to be a win, hasn't it? I'm Rob Mulholland, about to enjoy a Pizza Express here in Woking, reporting for IC News. Are you Rob Mulholland? Ugh, oh, fuck, here we go. Don't suppose you'd believe me if I said no? Package for you from Prince Philip. (laughs) 
Rob Mulholland there, single-handedly destroying a podcast's thin hope of ever being commissioned by Radio 4. That brings us to the end of our broadcast. Time now for the headlines you may have missed, like the deserts in the irradiated wasteland of the near future miss the rain. The Labour leadership race begins to narrow, with Keir Starmer vowing to end factionalism and restore faith in the party as a force for good, presumably by ignoring half the voters and pushing for another leadership race if he doesn't get a result he likes in the first one. Jury selection is currently underway in the Harvey Weinstein trial, with the man himself said to be crossing his fingers and hoping that a few Republican senators end up being called, as fine as they are with completely ignoring the blatant criminality of a pussy-grabbing thug. Microsoft pledges to become a carbon-negative company by 2050, chiefly by getting an annoying paperclip to pop up and harass people in the office whenever they try and put the heating on. Boris Johnson formally rejects the SNP's request for sufficient powers to host another independence referendum, reminding Nicola Sturgeon that she claimed the first one would be a once-in-a-generation vote. Boris knows a thing or two about generations, having chosen to pretend the entire one he's fathered doesn't exist. UK pub numbers have risen for the first time in over a decade, proving that things are finally terrible enough for millennials who can't afford to drink to turn to alcoholism regardless. And finally, the producer of the James Bond films has insisted that he will remain male in order to stay true to the character in the woke era, but he will face a strong new female lead in 00 Me Too, a new agent who reports him to HR. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and good night. IC News updates with either a brand new episode or an extended cut of the previous week's show every Saturday. In this episode, you heard Alison June-Smith, Sam Gore, Danny Sutcliffe, Tom King, Red Redmond and Rob Mulholland. If this is the bonus cut, you also heard an extra sketch featuring Roe Campbell. The original music is by Eddie French, and additional sound effects come from freesound.org, either under the Creative Commons license or with full credit for the use of effects under the attribution license given in the podcast description. You also heard God Save the Queen, as performed by the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. This episode was produced and written by Sam Gore, with additional material from Roe Campbell. This podcast only exists because of the fans of ICU who support this endeavour through Patreon. Check out the page at patreon.com slash ICU stories to find out how you can get early access to the extended episodes and every ICU story for as little as a pound a month. Until next week, thanks for listening and if you've enjoyed this podcast, please take the time to share it, rate us and leave us a review. It all goes a long way to helping IC News grow.